Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. And Ellie. And we have a great guest on who, Ellie knew who you were before we started, by the way. I mean, um, I, to be fair, <laughs> I, I kind of just read it knew you as opposed to properly knew you. Yeah. But Ellie's, Ellie's reaction was like, oh my God. <laughs> anyway, so very excited to have you. Um, can you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Bijan Ava. I'm a Persian-American uh, author and creator currently living in South America. And right now I'm uh, happy to introduce my first comics character, Cobra Olympus. Ooh, okay. Tell us about who is Cobra. So Cobra is going to be the world's first trans, lesbian, and Muslim superhero. Um, she is an ordinary everyday girl from Seattle, Washington, who has been given messages from the future that direct her to fight actual literal monsters that live in the darkness. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I was inspired because, um, you know, they say, write what you know, and, um, you know, so I decided to pull from, from real life the same way that comic book greats like Stan Lee had drawn from his own life. You know, he made Peter Parker this sort of, you know, broke guy who has a trouble with the ladies and always has something going on at home, uh, just like he was. And so I decided to make a character that was inspired in the same way, where, you know, the, the fantastical elements are obviously something out of a B movie or science fiction, but um, the, the core of who the human is walking around in the costume was, you know, motivated by my own personal experiences. So uh, as a queer, uh, lesbian, Muslim creator, well, mm -hmm. I, uh, I use lesbian in the term that a, of a non-man attracted to a non-man. Um, so, uh, you know, as a, as a creator with the, who's very queer and very Muslim, it was very important to me to create a character that reflected that inner reality. Uh, that's, yeah. I was going to say, because looking through the preview, which is on the Kickstarter, by the way, uh, yeah, the, the early Spider-Man influences of your work are very apparent. And I say that in a good way. <laughs> But my favorite, of course, was the date at the cafe, because I think we've basically talked through that virtually that same scene for like several dates between all of us here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so mm -hmm. if uh, if anyone who's listening wants to go check it out in person, uh, if you go search for Cobra with a K on Kickstarter, you'll probably find us uh, first or at least second. Um, the preview is right below the video. And it's the first 13 pages of the comic. And we open on a scene of Cobra going on a date with a wonderful woman named uh, Dorothy Diamond. And um, they're obviously vibing, they're having a great time. And at one point, Dorothy asks Cobra uh, why, she, why her parents named her Cobra. And it's sort of this like tiny little, little chaos moment in, in Cobra's mind about you know, she thinks that my parents named me when almost all trans people name themselves. So does she not know that I'm trans? And she has to, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to tell this story in a comic is because it's one of those kinds of things that you literally can't do in any other space where each frame above her is what she's thinking. And she's having to run all these things through her, her, her brain and the, the thought bubble. And below her is what she's saying. And she's having to run these two thought processes at the same time. She's having to not show 
what's what she's feeling on the inside and that's why i feel like the medium of comics was uh unusually uh good at telling this kind of a, uh, a story you know it, it's it's I, I find a lot of times people create comics when they really want to be making movies and they see comics as sort of a lesser like alternative but i wanted to embrace the things that made comics original and unique when they began and are still unique original and unique today including the thought bubble and the narrative caption so uh so yeah it was really important to me you know they say the 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 medium is the message yeah your love for comics it's just so you can tell it's just so deep and so genuine and i i gotta <laughs> really say cool. that the trans sort of internal panic on the whole thing i was like wait do they know been there done that it is absolutely <laughs> terrifying the panic is real uh, yeah but yeah. even worse is what comes next oh yeah yeah so um so the the next thing that happens is and i don't want to i want to leave it a little bit i want to leave y'all interested in in how it un unfolds because i want y'all to read the the comic um but a, a secret message is delivered to cobra olympus and uh, she has to get out of the date ASAP, which totally sucks because it was otherwise, other other than the fact that there was that small trans panic, it was, it was going pretty well. So um, that I think actually uh, speaks to my relationship with Islam in that that's sort of a metaphor for the fact that um, the way I understand uh, the Quran is that our lives don't really belong to us. They belong to a higher purpose. And so Cobra Olympus would love to be the person who gets to keep going out on the date and having a good time and eating Chinese food. But because she has a higher purpose, she has this higher calling, which in, is in this story is, is a metaphor through the time wars, messages from the future. Um, she has to leave the things that give her pleasure and go to the things for which she has a great responsibility. So, you know, Stan Lee obviously had a great sense of responsibility in his comics, but it was a different flavor to it because of his cultural background. It was a sense of, of being sort of um, anchored to something. Whereas for me, it's, it's, I see it as sort of being guided by something rather than be, you know, the Peter Parker sort of resents his, uh, his responsibility to other people. Uh, and that's a valid perspective, but from my perspective, it becomes the the path in front of you. The res your responsibility to other people lays out in front of you what you need to do in order to progress in your own life. So uh, the the lack of resistance there and the the submission, I think, is is what gives it a fresh perspective. Wow, that is that's pretty cool. Like I, <laughs> I mean, I'm into comics, but I'm so immersed in them at times. I often forget that you know maybe the white writer's perspective isn't the only cultural background and I often get lost in that so damn that was not something I was considering <laughs> yeah uh, yeah the kind of the analogy to Islam and um yeah that that's just that's so creative the way that it plays out at least in the portion of the comic that we were able to see um and yeah speaking of the name how did how were you inspired to name her Cobra. So um, one of the things I wanted to do was to show that she's multiracial. So that's why I gave her a, a Middle Eastern first name and a European last name. 
Um, and in the continuity of Time Wars, which includes other games and stories, uh, there's a famous family within the ranks of the vampire hunters, and they're the Olympus family. So she's, so uh, in one way, I was associating her with a, a famous lineage of multiracial vampire hunters in the story. And at the same time, I was mixing her, her heritage with the two names. And Cobra specifically is actually in the name of one of my aunts who lives in Iran. And so, uh, so Cobra became, it sort of is a family name. And so that I decided to, to give her something that sounded powerful and strong and was from my part of the world. Oh, I love it. Does your aunt know? Oh no! Well, I, I I I always say lives, but she she passed away. I I it's I oh, keep forgetting sorry. to use the past tense. Yeah. yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. Okay. I I love that. I love that you're paying tribute to her too, through this. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. So awesome. I love also that you're honoring the reality that so many people are mixed. I I have mixed heritage too and oftentimes like that that's a its own demographic that doesn't really get much of a place in media in general um so i appreciate that yeah i um i i actually plan to uh continue the story of the olympuses with a prequel um if so my idea is is that this cobra olympus comic i want it to be a six uh, issue miniseries and i've written all six issues the last one will be a double wide, so it would be twice as long as the others, be a big grand finale bringing together all the characters we've introduced so far. And um, and then, um, you know, I want to I want to keep it tight. I want to, you know, tell the story and then I don't want to try and, you know, do the because uh, so many comics fail when they try to go on forever. And that's a, a literally impossible goal in this day and age. So I want to do a nice tight six issues. And then I want to tell the story of how the Olympus family was formed. Um, and, and for that, I've already drafted an outline, and it's called Ash and Saturn. And it's about the two founding members of their line. And uh, Saturn Olympus is a Black man who was born in freedom in the 1840s. And uh, Ash Gray is his husband, and he's a trans man. And they are vampire hunters that use alien technology and get messages from the future. So Cobra is part of a long tradition of these kinds of characters. I love that you're leaning into the whole B-movie uh, side of this thing. Some people will deride B-movies, but I say they stand for best movies. <laughs> yes. Well, there's, there's such an unrestrained creativity in a lot of comics and inexpensive movies where they're not they know that they're not going to be winning oscars or literary awards hugos so what they have is is they ha they just have trying to tell the absolute wildest story they can imagine i mean i i love uh, it's one of the reasons why some of my favorite comics are from the golden and silver age because you know like wonder woman will go to the planet mars to fight the god mars like absolutely buck wild like who would have ever thought of that except the creator of that <laughs> yeah. so i that's the kind of creativity i'm trying to tap into where it's like what happens next and just have an absolute pure child's imagination of anything anything could happen next you know that's the kind of kind of legacy i want to inspire yeah it is I really mean, exciting there's literally no limit 
I was I was going to ask earlier before we brought up the uh, old style comics. So I was like, wait, is part of your inspiration Doctor McNinja? Because I felt some of the absurdity absurdity coming on from like that angle. Uh, no, I, not Doctor McNinja, but I am. I was a lot a lot of inspired by um, uh, the original Ninja Turtles, like the original original Ninja Turtles when oh, they would cross over ones. with whoever would. Yeah, they had like time shenanigans and mutants. They were of every creature, and they would party with kids from other dimensions, and like it was just absolutely like it was it was a, a comic fan's comic, you know. All right, I'm I'm loving everything about that because <laughs> I, I actually just kind of picked up the IDW Omnibus for Ninja Turtles, and getting through that very slowly. So, yeah, the IDW run is good, but it's uh, it's not the psychedelic romp that the original was. The IDW one is much more refined and much more uh, dramatic, um, but the the original Mirage run is absolutely bonkers just off the wall random nonsense i all right on the list <laughs> but yeah um so all that said how did you get started in comics um well i only recently started drawing well i i don't do the much of the art but i do well, okay, so I, let me back up. So there's basically two main points that led me to here. So the first part is that I grew up loving comics, but we never had money for new comics. I probably only owned maybe three physical comics growing up that were printed around the same time that I had bought them. Um, instead, most of the comics that I read were uh, black and white reprints of what had been color comics, just the line work reprinted on this sort of yellow pulpy paper in these thick, thick volumes that uh, with you know cheap covers. And uh, I would get them from the library and I would just rent them and, or not even rent them, I just borrow them from the library. And I would read them cover to cover and they were like classic Wonder Woman, Justice League, uh, Spider-Man, you know, 60s and 70s stuff mostly, but sometimes stuff from the 40s and 50s. Um, and you know, that was that was really where I fell in love with the medium of comics. And since the development of comicsology, that's been allowing me to get into uh, more comics more recently. I probably didn't pick it up until about two years ago, but since then I've been a pretty regular user. Uh, that's being able to read comics on my phone or my desktop is is a huge, just an absolute game changer. Especially now that I live here in Uruguay, where there isn't a lot of demand for English language comics, so they're not on shelves. Um, but, uh, but then the other thing that happened is I started getting interested in the career of Harvey Picar, who's a completely different kind of comics creator. Like he's not on most people's radar, but they did make a movie about him, uh, titled after his comic series, American Splendor. Um, and it made sense that it, the movie's about him and named after his comic because his comics autobiographical, autobiographical most of the time. Um, and so it's not superhero stuff. It's not sci-fi. It's not fantasy. It's like about like, you know, helping friends move or developing a record collection or trouble at work. But he had this very interesting method in that he was not an artist at all, but he had lots of friends who were artists. So he would draw out the panels and he would fill them in with stick figures and he would draw the, write the words in with bubbles around them. And then he would hand that to one of his many artist friends 
and then they would draw it in their style. So, um, you know, there's lots of different ways to make a comic. So when it, I decided that I wanted to make my own comic, I decided to use what I called the PCAR method because Harvey PCAR invented it. And so I took these physical pieces of paper and I would draw on them the little stick figures and, and you know, and, the, and I'd show the angle of the head and the emotion of the face. And I would, you know, fill them in. I would even add little notes like this is Chinese food or, you know, stuff like that. And um, I made the, the pages myself and then I sent them to my friend Swapnil. Um, he goes by the artist named Swaptrap, S-W-A-P-T-R-A-P. -P. He is available for commissions. If anyone wants to commission him, he's fantastic. And we worked on a style guide uh, back and forth for a really long time. We wanted to channel mostly 40s art style and that's why you're going to see the block line like the heavy heavy black lines and block coloring no there's no shading there's no gradients because we want to have that crisp clear 1940s aesthetic and we worked on different things like line size how knuckles are supposed to be shaped uh, the way eyes look uh, different methods for conveying different types of lips so, you know, and I was drawing from a lot of my collection because now in my comicsology collection, I have a ton of golden age stuff. So I was drawing examples from Harry G. Peter, Bill Everett, a little Jack Kirby. Um, and uh, so he took all those ideas I had for I wanted the art for the for, sorry, he took I, he took all the ideas I had for what I wanted the art style to be. And then he took my pages and he turned them into the comics that we have today, the Cobra Olympus comics. And, um, oh, and the, the other thing is that uh, we wanted to make sure that the facial expressions were just right. So for every facial expression, I took a photo of my face making the facial expression. So in a way, I'm almost one of, I'm almost an actor for the, the comic. Um, so, uh, so that, that's how we, that's how we made the comic. And, uh, and it has been an absolute blast. He's great to work with. Um, I, I, I wouldn't have changed a thing. Um, and if this, you know keeps going i'd love to keep making more so yeah that's the story oh that's amazing so is it you two um on jam sheet studios so jam sheet studios is uh, a patreon account and what it is is it's it's strictly for okay. funding okay. it's yeah it's really for funding these kinds of projects so i'm usually the writer oh, or okay. the game designer yeah so I'm usually the writer, the game designer, and we have different artists that we work with. So right now we're working on uh, the comic with Swap Trap. We're working on a tabletop role-playing game, and we're also working on a uh, video game, and they all have different artists. And so the Patreon is how they get things like uh, new tablets to work with or uh, adapters so that they can use new pieces of technology um, so with the, the funding that we get through the studio helps us physically make the, the, the project. And then once that happens, we own the projects. So it's a, it's a, basically a, yeah, an alternative to the studio process. Yeah. Cause when your studio funds it, the studio gets to keep all the money, but this yep. way patrons get to fund it. Yeah. This way patrons get to fund it. And then they just, uh, then we own it and we can do whatever we want with it. So um, so yeah, that's one of the, the the great things about the way it started. It's patreon.com slash jamsheed studios, J-A-M-S-H-E-E-D. Uh, I picked that name because Jamsheed is the is one of the legendary kings of Iran. So that's the story. Oh, super cool. Um, and yeah, that's really important that the the ownership um 
aspect. Uh, half the names you listed out as inspirations also kind of got screwed on the rights and credits to a lot of the comics they wrote. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I think, for example, uh, you know, it's it's really unfortunate that um, Harry G. Peter, for example, gets very little credit for his contributions to Wonder Woman because without him, there where there was no look to Wonder Woman. Like the the only there there was no guide for what she should look like at all. He just, he was just told to draw a powerful woman. So the idea that she made her not too slender, not too muscular, that she had dark a dark complexion, which was very unlike the sort of you know all all American girl, but very much like the all um, all world girl. You know, she's she's the average woman in the world has a much darker complexion. So the idea that that Harry G. Peter didn't contribute to the creation of Wonder Woman is is absurd. You know, he wasn't just a pen for hire. He he. And he was also a, a, a you know, I, I don't use the phrase lightly, he was a diehard feminist, as in he literally would have died for the cause. He hired almost exclusively women in his studio. He was at picket rallies with signs. He was petitioning governments. Um, you know, he, he, he really lived and died for the cause of women's liberation. So, you know, I think that a lot of these creators deserve to have and his estate gets nothing. His estate gets nothing from the from Wonder Woman. Um, so you know, it's it's really too bad that his his descendants don't get to celebrate being a part of Wonder Woman's legacy the way other people do. And it's not an isolated case, folks. It's happened to Bat one of the Batman co-creators, Bob Kane. Uh, I think Ditko got screwed out of a few things, as did Kirby. And mm -hmm. let's not get into Alan Moore because that could be in a whole episode on its own. <laughs> Yeah, so, for sure. So definitely a good mood on your part. Um, so all that said, um, you know, I've given my opinion on trans comic book heroes since they've sort of come into the spot late, lately, but I don't think I've had a chance to talk to anybody about Muslim superheroes. I mean, we've got, of course, the most famous at the moment, uh, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, but what are your feelings on them? Well, um... I think that Muslim superheroes are usually well. Okay, before Kamala Khan, there was there was a, a a very correct understanding that your average Muslim superhero was an antihero, because there was something inherently morally conflicting about being from that part of the world. That that would somehow edge you towards the on uh, the evil end of the spectrum just just on its own um so there were a lot of brooding dark muslim superheroes sort of who would avert nuclear crisis but then had a complicated relationship with terrorism in their own country and i think that that's um beyond unfortunate um i think kamala khan was a step in the right direction um, one, making her living outside the United States is uh, a way to have her be exposed to Islamophobia. Uh, so I think that's a really interesting move. Um, and the other thing was that she was from a country that uh, many people see as threatening, uh, Pakistan, because it's a nuclear power and many Westerners are allied with India in terms of that relationship. So... I think those two things were very interesting. I thought it was 
a missed opportunity to have her wear a hijab because I do understand, I don't think that you need to wear a hijab to be a good Muslim. I don't think you need to wear a hijab at all for any reason, unless you want to. I just also think that it's um, a reality for most Muslim women that they do prefer to wear a hijab. Um, so I thought that was a missed opportunity, especially given that she was going to be the first major Muslim character, and especially the first major woman Muslim character pushed forward by a major corporation. But I do understand it in terms of trying to represent that that's not a, uh, it's not a monolithic issue for Muslims, that it's not, it's not a universal acceptance. So I think it, if anything, the fact that Kamala Khan doesn't wear a hijab opened up an opportunity for me to have wearing the hijab on Cobra Olympus be a, uh, a form of queerness that would otherwise maybe not have gone seen, uh, may have gone unseen. Um, so because the first major woman Muslim character does not wear me, uh, a hijab, the fact that my trans Muslim character does wear a hijab now has this extra layer of meaning in the uh, meta language of comics in that she's expressing her femininity and her feminism in a more Eastern oriented way, um, which is not a value statement. That's not, a, it's not a, a, to say that one is better or, or worse. I think if anything, we just need more different perspectives and this is an opportunity to present one that's closer to my own. Yeah, I was telling Ellie I was happy to see a hijabi superhero in your comic because, I mean, there is that added layer of, I mean, when someone has a hijab, they are visibly Muslim in ways that like yeah. some people aren't. Um, so I, I think just that visibility, that added visibility is just very powerful. Um, and then there's also so much like i don't know just stereotype and um misconceptions of like a hijabi woman equals modest equals weak um equals submissive equals non-punk yes and right. you just subverted all you're just like no fuck all that <laughs> so i appreciate that <laughs> she's going on date she's kicking butt she lives oh, on yeah. her own uh, yeah. We see we see her living in her apartment uh, at the end of the comic, uh, and uh, it's not a spoiler. Ooh. But at the end of the comic, we see we see her apartment, and we see that she's very into Digimon, and she's very into Canadian football. Those are both little secret things that I added because I love those oh, two things. Cute. I like the Digimon. I both are really cute. Okay. Great little details. Since, yes, but I gotta know now that since you mentioned the end of the comic, does she get back to her date? uh no spoilies okay. okay so that's too much of a core <laughs> part, i'm guessing uh, uh i i, I want to know but yeah if you get the comic you will get resolution you will get yes. resolution on the okay good good uh but I, I hear you on like not using the whole muslim thing as an edgy part because like I feel like they did that with Dust, who was also a hijabi um, superhero. They did that with, I, you could argue it was done for um, 
the Khalid uh, Nasur Dr. Fate. And I don't know if you, if you could say um, Kismet would did it, but definitely Night Runner, which is a French Batman. Definitely French Batman, who is Muslim, kind of edgy. <laughs> Oh. Well, I also, I also just was, I was not historically inspired by edgy comics. That's not where my inspiration comes from. I, uh, I was reading comics where heroes were heroes and they were heroes because they did good things and they, they did their best and sometimes they failed, but they always tried. And that's, that's the, the, the legacy that I was raised with. Uh, even though those weren't the comics that were being written at the time, I wasn't connected to the comics at the time. Again, I was reading from the library. Mm -hmm. So I was connected to Golden and Silver Age comics. So that's what got expressed when I sat down and wrote my comics. And I wanted to be a source of inspiration. I wanted to be a source of hope, a source of looking to the future and looking within ourselves to find the strength that we need to face everyday life. Uh, context for the non-comic book fans, in the 90s and early 2000s, comics got super edgy. It was not a great time. <laughs> yeah, they got very dark. Uh, they got very depressing. And I think it was an attempt to age with the audience. And I totally understand it because in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, it was understood that people would sort of drop off reading comics and that their children would then pick up reading the comics. And that's why characters never really age. They, things that happen to them seem to have a, 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 an, an impermanence to them uh, because they were understanding that, that they were phasing out of one readership and phasing into another. But then the people that got attached to 60s comics kept reading comics. So in the 70s and 80s, you started seeing this growing group of people who uh, were adults who were reading comics, and they wanted more adult content. And it was, it sort of hit a tipping point right in the early 90s when they became the major majority readership. They outnumbered children who were reading comics. And that's when things got really dark in an attempt to appeal to people who were now young adults uh, in their early 30s, maybe, and were really looking for blood and sex and moral ambiguity. And, um, and I understand it and I appreciate it. And it's not what I'm offering. Uh, what I'm offering is something a little more wholesome and pure. So uh, I hope people like it. Well, I'm super, I am super excited to pick it up when it comes out. So <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, for, if anyone needs any examples of those dark times, uh, Spawn, uh, Frank Miller, Batman, which inspired the Nolan movies, that's what, said. that's what we mean by dark and edgy here. So um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of it was a lot of blood. It was a lot of guts. It was a lot of sex. It was a lot of um, governments doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. Um, it was uh, shadow organizations and, and crime lords. And uh, yeah, who kill. Was, yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, it was. I, I think. I think a lot of it had to do with uh, the comic book Watchmen. Um, because I think that was that was a, a major tipping point for it. Because Watchmen, on the face of it, is a superhero story about very aggressive uh, uh, heroes who kill and are comfortable killing and are comfortable manipulating world events. Um, but on the on the, the the subtext is that if what we 
superheroes were to really exist and fight crime, that that would not be a good thing. That would be a tyrannical uh, vigilant vigilantism would be basically a sort of a form of fascism, um, which is also, might I add, one of the reasons why Cobra Olympus does not fight crime. She fights literal monsters uh, because I think that inflicting justice on other human beings is something that, that we should do as a society, that we should decide on as a group and shouldn't be done uh, on a one-to-one -one basis. And that's why Cobra Olympus fights monsters. So I think that Watchmen, if you understand it deeply, is an indictment of the way that we had been producing superhero media up to that point. But what a lot of people saw it and, and walked away with it from was, wow, cool superheroes who shoot bad guys. I want more of that. So we got more of that. And even thinking that Alan Moore groans in protest. Yeah. <laughs> Can you elaborate for us? Oh, okay. Um, for the non-readers uh, who knew. Okay, Alan Moore, um, aside from, was always very critical as superheroes, as crime fighters, superheroes, as control and world, world order, that sort of thing. But he, he is literally an anarchist chaos wizard. I say none of this ironically or in jest, straight up. <laughs> Just very literal. Okay. Yeah, and he has been eternally frustrated with every adaptation of his comics as a result. Because he always felt they either missed the point or were not, or not good enough or <sighs> yeah. literal chaos wizard. Okay, got it. Um... Yeah, to, to elaborate on him being a wizard, uh, he says that by English tradition, because he's, he's English, um, that uh, someone who uses the power of words to change reality is a wizard. So since he's an author who is able to change people's minds using words, that he is, therefore, by English tradition, a wizard. Did not know that particular bit. That's fair. That was, that was uh, yeah. I am educated. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, um, but this is not about Alan Moore. This is about you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, thankfully. Um, so yeah, do you want to also, I mean, you mentioned you're in South America. How long have you been there? Does that your current location have any kind of influence on um, Cobra and the story? Like, is there any yeah. element of that? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, about six years back, um, me and my partner Ray Ray and our cats moved from Seattle to Montevideo, Uruguay. Um, it was mostly about safety because uh, we're uh, I'm Muslim, they are Jewish, we're both queer. And um, we didn't feel safe uh, in any community, basically. So when we came down to Montevideo just to visit at first, we instantly felt welcomed by every community here. So that was a, a huge difference. Um, and it uh, was very easy to get uh, residency status. Um, we love the culture, the cuisine, the the everything literally everything about this place is wonderful except for maybe the humidity during the summer that could change um we're also in a bit of a drought right now that's not great but that's not really the country's fault but um mm -hmm. the uh, yeah. uh the the country has has actually really influenced me um because the region has a very strong history of comic books uh they're mostly a sort of slice of life uh and if they are fantasy they're usually 
the type of fantasy where it's one step away from reality. You know, like it's everything's the same except one thing is different, except zombies or except fairies, something like that. Um, and uh, one of the ones that I found was the most inspiring to me was, um, and it's very famous. It's called El, Ether, El Eternauta or the Eternaut. Um, and it's uh, from Buenos Aires, which is just across the water. It's technically a different country, but it's I can see it from my house. Um, but uh, in, in in Argentina, there was a, a comic, and it was the El Eternaut, and it was about an alien invasion. In I think it was at the time the the seventies. No, it, it, there were two. There were two times that they they rewrote it. It was like they remade their own one. That George Lucas did. So I can't remember which one's the original. Uh, I think it's the maybe the fifties. Um, there's an alien invasion, and it's all entirely from the perspective of a family that's stuck at home and trying to figure out what's going on with literally no information from the outside world. So, um, you know, they start breathing in these fumes coming from the outside. So they start locking up the the windows, and they see what seems to be snow piling up. But then they see someone dying in it, and they think maybe it's radioactive ashes. And uh, they will start wondering about what, how, how, you know, the fresh fruit food that they brought in, could it be contaminated? So it's this very like psychological terror and it, and it ends, it culminates in this huge battle. Uh, and there's a, 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 at the very, very end, there's a, a time loop and you, you never find out if, uh, if it actually concludes and, and how, how it finishes. So it leaves on a cliffhanger, but I was very inspired by Ooh. the oh, it, I, and it's it's on uh, Comixology. If anyone wants to go get it, the 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 I think it's the '70s remake because I think the original version was made as a comic strip and was printed in in sections, and then they they completely redid the art and reworked some of the dialogue for the '70s remake of it. It was the same artist, or no, it was different artist, same author. And that's on Comixology. It's totally great. The Eternaut. E T E R A E T E T E T E T E R N A U A T. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Uh, cool. cool. That's a cool word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Wow. Um, what inspired you to visit? Um, to visit Uruguay in the first place, and um. I mean, that's that's just so incredible that you found a place that's that feels safe. That's sadly very rare. Yeah, well, we knew that we wanted to get out of the United States for safety reasons. So when, when we started looking at different countries, there were some that jumped out at us as big red flags and some that jumped out at us as big green flags. Um, for example, uh, it was impossible to get a Canadian um, permanent residency visa uh, unless you were a, uh, a student there or somebody had already hired you for a job there. So that was very difficult. Um, and uh, Ireland, um, all of its primary education uh, is through the church, the, the Catholic church, like all grades, kindergarten through sixth grade are only available through Catholic schools. So oh, if we I ever no wanted idea. to have kids, yeah, if we ever wanted to have kids, we how would a Jewish and a Muslim person raise a kid who's going to Catholic school every day? That wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. So when we started looking at the list of countries that would accept us as uh, as uh, you know temporary residents and then move on to permanent residents, the, the list wasn't that long to begin with. 
And then when we get to Uruguay, we have um, gay people have had the have had protection from from legal discrimination since the 1930s. Uh, trans people have had the right to change their um, their uh, status, their birth, their uh, gender status on their their identification since the 1980s. Um, they have socialized medicine. Um, they have strong labor rights, uh, strong minimum wage, low cost of living, highly low cost, extremely low cost of food. Um, you know, it was just it was just checking box after box after box. So you know, at, on paper it looked great, but we had to visit to make sure. And when we got here, we found a huge queer pride movement, a great punk scene, flourishing art district, uh, just you know, wonderful people, healthy food, the the all the food, all the, the fresh produce in Uruguay is grown either in the country or in the immediate region. And I cannot explain the quality, the difference in quality between an Uruguayan tomato and a United States tomato. It's it's astounding, and it's so much cheaper. It's it's amazing. Wow, wow! It sounds like just. I mean, yeah, they are light years ahead of what we <laughs> see here. Um, oh, so cool! And I I love I love that you were. I mean, you were you both were looking at such a long-term um you, you had such a kind of zoomed out picture you know when you were looking at what made sense you were thinking about okay if children come into the picture and it's a huge decision and um it's it's really cool to hear about that community and um just kind of what drew you there um and also about just how big comics are in Uruguay that's that's really cool I, I didn't know about that either yeah it's really interesting because um for a really long time uh there weren't a lot of American comics in Uruguay uh for a really long time because they were so much so uh, Japanese manga is almost always without color it's almost always black and white and so it's much easier to ship like masters to the to South America and reprint it here than it is to I physically see. move. Okay. Right. So through the 70s and 80s, a lot of the Uruguayan comics were mostly influenced by Japanese comics. Um, so manga was a huge, huge part of Uruguayan culture for a very long time. It still is. It's still humongous. But only recently have people started say, I think it was actually, it, it, it really started because of the success of the Marvel movies here, that people started bringing in um, so when um uh, uh, for our for our friends who aren't comics uh, comics nerds, uh, there's a lot of comics that are worth a lot of money, and then there are also a lot of comics that aren't, and the ones that aren't are usually sold by weight because that's how little they're worth uh, as individual comics. So uh, what they do is they'll take all of these comics that are being sold at a low price per weight, and they'll move them into these giant giant pallets. And they'll ship those from the United States down to Uruguay. And then the vendors come and pick them clean. And so we have all these nerd shops here that sell modern merchandise like Funkos and new board games and Pokemon cards. But then they'll also have this section of really cheap American English language comics from the 70s and 80s and 90s. And uh, they're in all kinds of different conditions, all different kinds of superheroes. The one thing you can guarantee is that there will be nothing in there that's super special or rare. They're all like really random issues 
really random thing, but they're but because they're so cheap to bring in now, because they because they're they're being sold in the palette and they're old, old, old comics, now it's a very popular pastime to collect what they can. So uh, we even have a pretty modest collection here of really interesting comics that have been been relegated to the bargain bin by American collectors. But I mean, I've got a, a triple wide issue where Ant-Man meets Soup Spider-Man. I mean, that's a pretty good, that's, that's a fun comic. I read that, it was good. So, um, you know, there's uh, there's been, ever since the Marvel movies, they've been bringing in these pallets of comics and it's been a much bigger collecting scene here since then. So, and that's influenced the art and the, the storytelling of the uh, Uruguayan comics as well. Wow, that is a wildly different scene from America. I'm glad to hear it exists. <laughs> yeah, me too. How how big is the? I mean, what's the population of the town here, Montevideo? Montevideo, I think, is like one point five two million. Okay, and, so pretty okay, and then, pretty big, yeah. But the, but then the entire country is only three three point five million, so the vast Got like it. so like a huge yeah. chunk of Uruguayans live in Montevideo. The rest of the okay. country is not Got very it. densely populated. Yeah, would you say that uh, Montevideo is the it's like kind of a bubble, or would you you know from kind of your perception is Uruguay in general a pretty open uh, socially and you know progressively? Oh. Oof. Well, okay, so a lot of it is complicated by the fact that Uruguay shares a huge stretch of its border with Brazil. So when you go north, you get, start getting closer to um, people who speak Portuñol, which is a combination of Portuguese and Espanol. Um, and uh, they start having a more conservative culture because of their more persistent contact with a more conservative culture of, of Brazil. A lot of these border towns, people pass through them freely. Some of them are even bisected, so they're they the municipality is run by both countries. Um, so uh, there's sort of a, a gradient there. But um, as long as you are uh, within the country of Uruguay, you are guaranteed certain rights. Um, so the, for example, um, protections for equal uh, payment, equal rights to work, equal rights to housing, those stretch all the way to the Brazilian border. Um, but um, you, when, when hate crimes do occur, they're almost always out close to the Brazilian border and almost always okay. by Brazilians who have come to Uruguay to commit a hate crime against an Uruguayan. Um, so there are almost, almost no Uruguayans committing hate crimes. Therefore, with the further south you go, the fewer Brazilians you encounter, the less likely you are to encounter a hate crime. I don't think there has ever been recorded instance of a hate crime against a queer person in Montevideo or Punta del Este, the next biggest city. I don't think that's ever occurred. Um, if, it, if, if it has, I, I didn't hear about it. But um, yeah. when, I, when I researched it, it had never occurred in the history in its history that is very impressive that is and there's something kind of uh symbolic and poignant here we're talking about fantasy worlds and you know comics and kind of you creating uh your own just characters and worlds that you've always 
dreamed about and in real life you've found this community that is you know might have in the past sounded like a fantasy to you um yeah so it's just really kind of cool this juxtaposition you know this conversation and kind of the the two the parallels here um i i i love it i i'm so glad you found uh like a safer place um ellie so, is probably weeping in texas a, a little bit right now i mean new, new york has its problems too thank you all so much for being here for listening i learned so much um just from this not even hour um so you can follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at the queer arabs and um our email is thequeerarabs at gmail.com and yeah everyone check out the comic i'm very excited myself uh where can they find your work in comics so the comic book is going to be on kickstarter.com just search cobra olympus cobra with a k and the rest of our stuff can be found at patreon.com slash studios that's j-a-m as in mary s-h-e-e-d as in daniel